I'm Martin McDonald, and this is SEO in 2023. Martin, what's your number one SEO tip for 2023? I think my number one tip for, for 2023 has got to be that um, I think we're finally reaching the year now that Google is moving away from the environment that we've had for the last dear two decades of having 10 blue links on the homepage and moving away from being a purely informational retrieval system to an informational suggestion system. Now, we know this because Discover has been a thing for the last few years, but increasingly, if you follow um, uh, Barry Schwartz's updates on social media, you'll see all the tests that they're doing where they're injecting additional panels into the overall search results at this point in time. And this has to be a maneuver to try and get back some of that eyeball time that Google have been losing, frankly, to to social media, to Facebook, to the Twitters of this world, but also now YouTube is losing to TikTok. Um, so a much richer kind of content-based front-end for search results is the one thing that I can see really happening over the next year. And if you haven't got ready for this, if you have got a website that's entirely based on text, if you haven't got good media assets on your website, if you're not using OG definitions for those images, for instance, then you're the one that's going to be losing out. Because unless Google's going to be able to correctly define in this knowledge panel that's going to become part of the search results, then you're going to lose your CTR. So, you know, if I was restricted to one tip for next year, it's going to be we need to start focusing on things outside of just the words that appear on the page and looking at the entire kind of multimedia return that each one of the web pages is giving. Two decades. I was thinking, two decades, it can't be two decades. But I was thinking, I remember back in 1999, yeah. and that's yeah. 23 years ago, using Ask Jeeves and thinking, and someone else saying to me, you should be using Google. Google? I was like, yeah. what's that? I was saying, but 23 yeah. years ago, wow. Okay, yeah, no, so moving into information retrieval, uh, or uh, from in information retrieval into information suggestion, uh, and that makes a di big difference from the front-end perspective. But what about yeah. where the information comes, comes from? Practically, what do SEOs need to do differently to adapt to this new world? Well, in order, in order to adapt to the new world, we need to have a, a clear understanding. And I don't want to use marketing personas in the old sense where we used to make up an individual and then target towards them. But I want, to, I want people to think more about marketing personas in the individual sense here, in as much that... Google has an amazing understanding as to the items that an individual is interested in once they recognize that individual. And and we know this because, like, if I open a new tab in Chrome on mobile or, or now on desktop, I get very personalized, very good Discover suggestions, as will you, as will anyone else that's watching this right now. And they're all going to be entirely unique to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, Google have been experimenting with this for, for what, over a year now? And I think this is demonstrating that they've got a very clear understanding as to not only what people are searching for, what the best results are for that individual thing, but also what are the items that people are going to be most interested in. And one of the ways that I like to think about this is actually by, by looking at the entities that those individual pages or pieces of content are returning through various APIs. Because if you assume that Google are maintaining kind of like a table that defines the interests of individuals that it recognizes, and it's then using that to build the discover recommendations, for instance, you can see very clearly how it would start to be able to, one, associate content with what that content's about, and two, associate what that content is about with whether or not you're going to be interested in it. 
Now, in order to have your content be surfaced in that environment, and particularly if this way of thinking does make its way through to actual search results, you are going to need to have that kind of rich level of content to be able to compete. So kind of another way of thinking about this is, if you go back 10 or 15 years ago, we used to get by with having two or three sentences of poorly constructed kind of Markov chained content on a web page and get it to rank. And, and over time, those requirements have just, they've expanded, they've expanded, it became more text, longer text, more unique text, more readable text, better text. Like it, it, it's always got harder and harder and harder as the years have gone by. But notice every one of those things was something text. You know, I, I think that's going to be the big change that we're going to be looking at is Google have the Discover product. They have YouTube. They have this user data and they have people's search queries. What they've never done is tied all of these things together, but you can certainly see how they would be able to do that to then start taking chunks out of both the Facebooks and the Twitters of this world, but also back, back at TikTok because ultimately... Google's mission has changed. Now, if we remember back to when they were formed 20 years ago, apart from don't be evil, um, you know, they also wanted to catalog and categorize the world's information um, and make it available to a search. I don't think that's their mission statement anymore. I think their mission statement quite clearly is we want to have the most amount of attention or eyeballs focused on us, eyeball time of any company on the internet. And this is the only realistic way that they can leverage their dominance in search to be able to also compete just in the straight attention economy, which is something that they've been losing at to Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, et al. for the last couple of years. And, and um, while they've tried competing with these platforms kind of in their own verticals, it's never really worked out very well for Google. So I can see them kind of developing something that sits in the middle of all of these products instead and leveraging that dominance on search they have, but by injecting a much richer ecosystem into the search results. And that then changes what we think of as Google now with the 10 blue links into being a much more kind of social media looking environment, but through the rich content that you're seeing on it, tailored to what it is that you're searching for, plus what your interests are. That, I think, is going to be the real fundamental change that we're going to see in search, not just in 2023, but certainly over the coming years. So among your interesting thoughts there, you mentioned the word entity, and you mentioned that that is um, part of the picture, at least, of demonstrating that you are relevant towards the individual and relevant at that moment in time, and hence your content should be surfaced. How do you actually define your relevance to that entity? Um, is it about schema? Is it about, is it about building the authority of your website within a certain niche? Are there other areas that we have to look in, into as well? Well, it's, um, it is about schema. It is about building authority because those things are not going to go away. Um, schema allows Google to have a much quicker and easier understanding as to the content that's on a web page. The authority is, you know, something that ultimately I don't ever see going away from a ranking perspective, like a straight the order that these things appear in perspective. But if you look at any of the NLP APIs, and um, I mean, there's, there's a fantastic SEO tool provider out there that are specializing in this right now, but there's also other APIs that are available. You pass content through those and basically it returns back to you, it's recognized entities. And those entities are things that it recognizes on that page. 
where this becomes very interesting, though, is if you if you analyze the entities that appear on each one of the pages in a set of search results, for instance, you can very quickly start seeing, oh, hey, these pages in 7th, 8th, and 9th don't happen to have information about this particular thing, but the pages in 1st through 6th happen too. We conducted some experiments in 2021 and earlier in 2022 where we used this method to plug the gap in actual content that was on a couple of e-commerce sites by making sure that all of the relevant pages had the information that Google may have been expecting to see for one of the top results. Now, our testing on this was extremely positive. There were certain things that were highlighted that simply you wouldn't have noticed had you not been able to accumulate this data for an entire SERP set. Um, you know, for instance, as as we were looking at, and this was on a this was in a luxury goods e-commerce company. There were there was a specific individual that was mentioned in the top three or four because this individual was was relevant to the history of this product that was mentioned in the top three or four um, results. We passed this on to the client. They refactored and rebuilt their content in such a way that it also included information about the history of that product. And that content enrichment certainly helped improve their overall search rankings. Now, is that because they included entities that Google were expecting, or is it because they had simply enriched their content? Unless you're testing hundreds of thousands of these at a time, it's hard to, to make a scientific judgment on that. However, I can say from the hundreds that we have done that it has certainly appeared to have a very strong impact. The tracking and the understanding of this data at scale is also something that I see as being a, a big competitive advantage in 2023 moving forward. So it is something that I think people should be more concerned about than they currently are moving forward. If you're contributing to the enriched SERP more than your competitor, how do you measure the positive impact that that actually has? But it's a, I mean, it's a great question. It's going to depend exactly on what the, what the actual SERP looks like. Now, in my mind, and in my mind here, I, I listen, this is, this is entirely a myopic view because I have spent 20 years looking at 10 blue links on a page or increasingly, you know, seven blue links plus 55 ad spots. But let's ignore that for a second. I, so I'm envisaging this as being roughly 10 kind of information cards in the same way that we have with Discover, where you're going to fundamentally have ranking as well. And your inclusion in these cards is either going to be based on you having rich media to put in them, or simply you'll have a card that will have a, a meta title and a meta description in the same way that we do at the moment. But then if everyone else on the page has got a video embedded or, or images embedded within their listing, then they're going to get the CTR and you're not. So the question that, well, the answer to the question might simply be that we're going to track it based on overall ranking positions. But again, that's my myopic view of having sequential links on a page. The reality is we may end up having kind of like some kind of tessellation of results. There's no, uh, who's to say at this point in time what the ultimate UI will be. And that UI is fundamentally what's actually going to drive reporting of it and the overall targets that we put on it. So, you know, in the environment that we're just having a straight ordered list, I don't think things will change that much as far as the reporting is concerned. But it's entirely possible that we move away from that model entirely. And that would be a very interesting shakeup because... Let's not forget, for, for two decades now, it hasn't really changed that much. You know, we're still typing in a, a query into a, a, a form on a page and then getting X amount of results back and clicking on one of them. I mean, I think we're probably overdue a, a significant technological update to the way that 
Not necessarily that search works, but the way that we interact with search. Wow. Maybe that's park that discussion for um, yeah. a more <laughs> comprehensive webinar in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, just diving briefly into the accumulation of data, another phrase yes. that you also mentioned as well. Um, now, something you've mentioned previously is um, Google's data obfuscation. Um, yep. So what do you mean by that and how can SEOs get around it? Well, if we go back and let's have another trip down history lane. For those of us that are old enough to remember when Google Analytics actually had keywords in the landing page report. You know, that was that was fantastic. You could tell which keyword had actually triggered a conversion. Google took that away in what, 2012, 2010? Like it was it was a long time ago now. I mean, I'm sure many people that are working in SEO do not remember slash had no idea that we used to have access to this data. And, and it was only 5% taken away to begin with, then only 10%, and then surely no more after that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and why did they do that? For privacy, but yet we still managed to receive it in other, you know, well, in Google Search Console or whatever. And fundamentally that, that has always been available, asterisk, and I'll come back to that, for paid search. But it's very clear to see with two things. On organic search, the personalized queries that Google is not telling us about um, are the privacy queries, the, the PII queries, that Google is not telling us about through Google Search Console have, as a ratio, been increasing. Slowly, but they have been increasing over the last couple of years. Now, a couple of people have done some work this year specifically into how many queries were reported as specific line items in Google Search Console versus what the total amount of organic search traffic was that was reported at the site level for that site. And using that to then determine how much of the traffic came from keywords that didn't appear in the uh, kind of like in the list of the keyword table. Now, it's not a perfect approach by all means because we don't know whether or not there's individual pieces of data missing for the keywords that were there or there's just whole keywords that are missing. So it's impossible to make that evaluation. But the data that we can see, which isn't great, and I have a ton of this data from enterprise clients as well, is that that ratio is increasing slowly. I have seen some people claim crazy amounts, like 40% plus of traffic that they're aware of through Google Search Console not being reported at a keyword level through Google Search Console. It's impossible for me to validate that. I haven't seen anywhere near that. I've seen 10, 11, 12%. But three years ago, I was seeing two, three, four percent So even that number has gone up greatly. And also, let's be clear, it very much depends on the kind of site that you're looking at. Because if it's the kind of site that has lots of PII data, then it's going to have a much higher share of, of keywords that it's no longer receiving data on. But that, that shows the general trajectory that Google Search Console is going. And this year as well, Google have also started removing this data away from their paid search advertisers, which frankly is, is a Rubicon that I didn't expect them to cross at any particular point. I always assumed that because people are paying for this data, they would have access to it. But Google have now managed to obfuscate quite a lot of the actual landing page key, uh, the, the, the keyword reports within AdWords that tell you what the specific keywords were and broaden phrase matching that returned the click. Now, that leaves us in a situation where we're ending up working even more blind than, the we're, than we were before. So it becomes really incumbent on us 
to start building our own data sets and to start building those as early as possible. Because like a good part of the data that you need to build this comes from Search Console, for instance. You know, the, the third-party indices that are out there at the moment are all very good at what they do, but they're useless for really telling you every keyword that's important to your site. So people really need to start cataloging this today. There's plenty of tools out there that do it at this point in time, but basically start backing up and cataloging 100% of your Google Search Console data today. If that's the one thing you take away from this, then that would be that would be my favorite is just start doing it because in two years or three years or five years, it will be far more important than you would ever imagine it is right now. Well, wonderful advice and certainly another topic that we need to be having in a longer form, uh, perhaps on a future Majestic webinar. Martin, it you've shared what pleasure. SEO should be talking about in 2023. So now yeah. let's talk about what SEO shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? Something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023. Okay, so I will caveat this by saying I used to do this, right? I, I We all used to do this, but... <sighs> The algorithm update chasers of the SEO world are akin to the ambulance chasers in the legal world. I think that as an industry, we spend infinitely too long at this point in time trying to analyze what the hell happened in the last Google update. Like, really? Now, again, ancient history. I, I'm the, still waiting for my page rank bar to update yes, in my browser. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, it's been like that for years, hasn't it? Like my little green bar has got stuck halfway there. But but like in ancient history, this used to happen once a month. And it was it was really fun and exciting. And it was like, if you had a good update, the Google dance this was, like, you know, if you had a good update, it was great because you knew that you were going to keep that number one spot for at least the next three or four weeks before the next update happened. But crucially, what that allowed us to do was it actually gave us time to try and have a better stab at why things had gone up and gone down rather than the environment where we are right now, which is you can look at directionality, but you cannot look at individual rankings on individual websites to infer any reality, or like on a single unit basis, any reality about what happened in a search engine update. You just can't do it anymore. There's too much stuff going on simultaneously for you to draw any conclusions that you can actually have learnings from and work off them. So on that basis, like if there's one thing that the entire SEO industry needs to stop doing, it's being... Oh, there was a helpful content update three days ago. Here's everything you need to know about it. And investing so much time and energy and money into the creation of the content and the consumption of this content that fundamentally means nothing. The helpful content update is a, is a great example. You know, we were told a week in advance of it coming out. The entire industry spent the entire week talking about nothing else. The update apparently was rolling out for 10 or 12 or 14 days. Everyone was commentating as to how big it was going to be. Nothing. No one really saw anything. There was a there was a core update 10 days later, and basically everyone saw big changes from the core update. Now, was it because of the core update? Was it because of the helpful content update? Was it because of anything else that could have happened in the meantime? There is no way for us to know in any other, you know, any amount of time that we spend kind of exalting the reasons why something has happened are entirely wasted time when you could have been spending that time ultimately doing what it is that will result in longer term better rankings, which is from day one, Google have always had the same objective in mind for the search results, and that's simply make them better. The answer has always been 
make your website better and you will have more traffic. Make the content better. Make it easier for Google to crawl. Make it easier for Google to understand. So, so, so those three things encapsulate top-end content production. They encapsulate technical SEO. They encapsulate internal linking. They encapsulate entities. Like there's, there's a million things that go into those three little bullet points, but that's what people should be spending time on, not spending time on trying to reverse engineer what happened in the latest Google update. It's... It's tired to use the, 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 the way that the youth would refer to this. It's not wired anymore. Or maybe even that's an old statement these days. I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself terribly. Don't ask me. <laughs> Martin McDonald is the CEO at Mog Media, and you can find him over at mog.media. Martin, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thanks for having me. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com. 